Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. Creative folks, how they do their thing, how they hang in there, how they keep it going, how they get it out there. That's what I like to talk about. Today, my guest is an author, Michael Anthony. He wrote the book Life at Hamilton. And here is the subtitle. Sometimes you throw away your shot only to find your story. Um, Mike is an actor. Uh, and um, he also is the bar manager and bartender at Hamilton in New York City, the, the Broadway theater where the show uh, plays. And he wrote a book about his observations from that vantage point. I started out as social media posts and it evolved into this book. He's a wonderful writer. His voice is funny and it's got a lot of heart to it. And it's just a really interesting vantage point to observe a phenomenon. And he talks about all the different people that came there and, and and just his observations about being an actor and being that close to the thing and and yet not quite there. So it's really interesting. He's really fun to talk to. That's Mike. Before we get to that, I want to mention the virtual game nights I've been hosting all through the pandemic. You don't know my life.com. You can find out about them, but we've kept doing them. We're getting more into corporate uh, events because a lot of people are working remotely so if you know an office that needs to bond because everyone's separate, uh, hit me up. We'll do that. And the other cool thing is the other night we did a game where it was a group of friends and they were all in the same room, but I zoomed in and hosted the game uh, on their TV, their big screen TV. So that way you can get the best of both worlds. You can be with your friends and have a virtual experience where I don't have to wear pants. So there's that. Learn about that at youdon'tknowmylife.com. Uh, you can also see all of the old podcasts at DennisAnyone.net or DennisHensley.com. They go to the same place. And if you want to contribute to my virtual tip jar, that's where you can do that. Help me cover the expenses that come with doing the podcast. Uh, that's all the plugs. Uh, here is the interview with Mike Anthony. All right, joining us via Zoom from his home in Connecticut, it's Mike Anthony, the author of the new book, Life at Hamilton. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I devoured this book. In a few gulps, I really, really enjoyed it. It really, it really spoke to me as a, a lover of theater. But you're also a very engaging writer. You have a, a great voice. You have humor. You have a lot of heart. I was very moved by it. So, uh, congrats, first off. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Now, you are the bar manager at the Richard Rogers Theater, where Hamilton opened and played and is going to resume. We hope that's your official that's title, great. right? Bar manager. That is my very official title, yes. Right. And from your vantage point, you get to see a lot. Uh, you get to meet a lot of amazing people, um, and you get to see them experience something wonderful. How did this book begin? Because I understand some, some things started out as posts on social media. Is that right? Yeah, that's entirely how it started. Uh, I, I never had a book in mind when it began. I, I had started, to, you know, I was all of his wonderful experiences at Hamilton, um, just there in the lobby at the bar. And uh, I had started writing uh, posts on Facebook, you know, on my train ride home at night, I would just write a little uh, post about what happened, you know, assuming my mom and my sister and, you know, favorite cousins would be reading it. And that was about it. Um, but I had my settings, my Facebook privacy settings set to public at that point. I just wasn't paying attention uh, to that sort of thing. And they started to get shared um, uh, beyond my, you know, my family and friends group. And pretty soon some of them went sort of viral. And uh, this, this 
uh, sort of group, uh, Facebook group grew up around the Facebook posts. And, um, you know, it wasn't long before some, some members in the group uh, were suggesting that, that we compile the stories into a book. And as it turned out, one of the, one of my Facebook um, virtual friends that I'd never met in real life uh, is an author. She's a, a New York Times bestselling author. And she asked if she could take the stories, uh, some of the stories to her agent. Uh, and, and, and so that's really how the book came to be. It was really the universe that, that put it all into motion. I love that. What was it like when people started giving you feedback online? Because I'm one of those guys that don't love to read the comments. I'm not like dying to know what everyone thinks of everything I do or like I'm a little wary of it. What was it like when people started commenting? Uh, It was bizarre. I mean, most of it was all, you know, positive. And as you know, from reading the book, it focuses very much on, on the positive interactions that I was having. Some of it is political in nature though. Right. uh, Because the, the, the post that initially went viral, uh, was about my interaction with Mike Pence when he came to the show, which ended up becoming this big, you know, national story. Cause then Donald Trump tweeted about, uh, what happened that night. And, uh, so the, the comments were largely 99.999% were all beautiful, lovely comments. Um, and at, at the beginning it was taking up all of my time. Like literally that, that's how I spent my day was responding wow. I felt badly. P- people were sharing heartfelt things, you know, about how the stories affected them. And, and I didn't want people to not think that I was uh, not reading these things. And so at the beginning I was spending a lot of time, uh, lovely time, lovely time uh, responding to people's uh, comments. Wow. But it was a major co- time commitment. And uh... it did really was at the beginning yeah but it also ended up leading to the book um in your position are you the boss or is there somebody above you uh i'm the boss of so my company services the eight nederlander actually now nine nederlander theaters on broadway so there's a there's a boss a manager on site at every each one of those theaters so i'm the manager of the richard rogers uh, but above me, there's the general manager, right. who who is the uh, you know the the main the main boss of all of the of the theaters. I, I ask that because I imagine there are workplaces where, out of an abundance of caution or something, they would say, "Don't post, don't write, don't like." You do a lot of things in the book where I'm like, I know places where people get fired for that. Like you give you give drinks away sometimes, or you you sneak away to shoot a video or something. And I was like, maybe he's running the show and he gets to do all this. And none of it is super egregious, but you know, people are, workplaces are different, right? Yeah. And again, Dennis, when I was first writing these posts, I'm not thinking there's any way any, my man, my, my, no one's going to see this. Right. No one's going to see this. And my mom's not going to tell on me if I uh, take a minute to make a video, but my boss um, has been wonderful, uh, incredibly supportive. And uh, so, yeah, I'm very, very lucky with the people that I work with and work for. And you are an actor as well. You you uh, went to school for acting and you still act uh, from time to time. But you write about what it's like to be there and to be a bartender. Um, there's a, a, a couple of um, things that I wrote down. You got to you got to perform once, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. But be, you got to perform with Lin-Manuel Miranda in a, in a setting, the ham for ham setting, where they would auction off the tickets. 
and you you say beneath the excitement was a sadness and i i was really moved by that because i'm someone that's been kicking around writing and entertainment for a long time and i have moments and highs and lows and that's what it is but um a friend of mine and i have a term for it called we call it melisma which is like a form of show business sadness where for a while it just seemed like facebook should have been called look who's doing good in show business today <laughs> And I would see my friend and I was like, how are you doing? He's like, well, I got a touch of the melisma. And I, and it's not really like you don't want them to succeed. And, you know, you don't want other people to fail. But you're like, oh, what am I, what do I have to do? Or like, it's that feeling. And so I really related to that aspect of the book. And you write about that feeling. Talk to yeah. me about what it's like to have pursued what you've pursued and to be where you are around, yeah. around this great, great show. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't move to New York City to be a bartender. You know, that was not the the plan. Uh, I'd, I'd gone to school uh, for acting and then I went to grad school and got a, uh, an MFA in acting and uh, moved to New York, you know, wanting to make a life out of being an actor. And, uh, you know, I soon found out that that is, as all of my teachers told me, but I somehow didn't believe completely was going to apply to me. Uh, you know, it's very, very difficult to make a life, to right. make a living as as an actor and just through acting you know most people uh, involved in the arts as as you know have other ways of of making money right uh and so bartending was something that I, I i loved it i mean i was working in a broadway theater so so that part of it was fantastic and it's given me incredible gifts but that said, it was definitely hard sometimes to be that close to people living out my dream right. on a nightly basis. You know, when I, when I, uh, early on, I was working at In the Heights and most of those people were making their Broadway debut. You know, they were, they were kids, um, basically when that started and, and it was so thrilling, so exciting, um, for, for all of them. And, uh, and, and I was, you know, I'm like this close to it. To, to, right. You, know, I'm you like, can I'm taste like it. Close. can taste it. And so it was simultaneously, as I write it in the book, Hamilton especially, simultaneously thrilling and a little bit heartbreaking. Um, and, and yeah, the ham for ham. Yeah, thing. tell that story a little, a little about it so people know what we're talking about. Sure. Yeah, Ham for Ham was a program that Lynn and um, uh, Tommy Kale, the director, came up with because uh, there were lottery tickets offered every day, you know, 10 to 20 tickets. And it was not long before hundreds of people were showing up for these tickets. So 46th Street, uh, you know, where the Rogers is, was basically shut down once a day as all of these people, hundreds, thousands, came hoping to, to get these tickets. And Lynn did not want the vast majority of them who were not going to get the 10 tickets to leave completely empty handed. So he started doing this little show every day. This little, he would put on a, a, a skit of some kind or, or do a number or a song. Uh, the guy is amazing at the same time that he's, you know, starring in Hamilton, he's doing all of this media for it at that point. Now he's also coming up with a different show every single yeah, day. Let's do skits every day. In addition. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Unbelievable. How he found time for that, no idea. But he and Tommy did. They, they put that together. And so it became this really popular thing. And, and it was not long before people were showing up just to see the ham for ham performance. Right. Not even worrying about signing up for the, the lottery. Right. So, if, you, if you don't get the show, you get a show anyway, in a way. Yeah. 
That's yeah, awesome. it became a really popular thing because he he was then bringing in other Broadway stars sometimes to come do songs. I mean, there were some really special performances that happened out there. And, and one of them he decided to, because Lynn is, uh, he's been, in my experience, very inclusive with uh, how he how he operates. So including, trying to include the bar, the, the front of house staff as much as possible and making us feel like we're part of this family yeah. uh, in whatever capacity that we are, even just selling candy like I like I do. So in one of the Hamperhams, he decided to have the softball team sing a song and I'm on the Hamilton softball team. So uh, I got to perform and it was one of the most surreal experiences of my life. I was sitting in my office one day and the stage manager came to my office and handed me sheet music and said uh, Lynn wants to rehearse with you on stage tomorrow at four o'clock and I was like Lynn Manuel Miranda wants right. to rehearse with what and yeah. I'm like, and I, I don't even read sheet music I'm a, I'm a straight actor I haven't right. done uh, very much musical theater so I started sweating you know and then the next day I'm sitting in the theater Lynn is directly in front of me, leaning up against the chair. We're in the orchestra, uh, orchestra seats. And uh, uh, Alex Lacamoire, who is a genius in his own right, he's accompanying us. So right. he's sitting to my left. And it was, you know, I, I it was like this dream. I don't know that I've ever had a more surreal experience than Lynn conducting in front of me and then giving me notes, you know, giving us, you know, he's directing us on this right. little number um and so it was a lot of fun we went out and we, we did the, the the performance and it was great and then uh you know it ends and we come back inside and when you enter uh from the street when you, you a lot of actors are on the softball team so a lot of actors were in the number as well right. so the actors were taking a right to go backstage to get right. ready for the show and everybody else the front of house staff took a left and I felt like I am with the wrong group. I'm yeah. supposed to be taking a right. Here. Right. Yes. yes. Um, and so that moment, yeah, it was, you know, it was, uh, it was definitely sad in that moment to, to not be headed backstage. Right. Uh, but the other thing about working around these brilliant performers every day is that, you know, I, it was also not long before I realized I just don't have what it takes to do what they are doing. You know, I just don't have the, uh, the genetic code in my body to 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 move my body in the way that they do or sing the notes that they're able to sing um so so that's a that's another difficult realization that i that i had there at the same time so yeah a, a lot of complicated emotions yeah a touch uh, of the melisma uh you just yes. had a touch of it but you write about that but you can keep finding things that you want to be and that in a way this yeah. led you to writing and being an author which would yeah. probably happen otherwise. Yeah, yeah. And that's definitely the most important lesson, uh, if there is a lesson to be found in the book. I mean, that's what it is or what it was for me is that, you know, I write in the book about how, you know, your, our parents tell us we can be whatever we want to be, right? right. That's, that's what parents are supposed to say. And a lot of times it turns out to be true. But it doesn't all, it's not a 100% uh, concrete fact that you're going to be able to do whatever you want, you know? Like, just not everyone is born with an arm that can throw a 90-mile-an-hour fastball and play for the Red Sox, which is what I wanted to do when I was younger. Right. So, but the 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 most important thing that the universe has in it, as I have found, is that though you 
can't necessarily be whatever you want to be. You can keep finding things. You can keep finding new things that you do want to be. And one of those things is going to light you up. You right. know, and it's gonna make you uh, thrilled, and it's gonna it, it, it's gonna be um, something that you love. And uh, yeah, as as it turns out, uh, writing these stories, these simple little stories, um, I have gotten messages from people that have moved me more than anything I've ever done on stage. You know, I, I've gotten messages from people who have written about how stories have helped them in, in various ways and, and nothing in my life has topped, uh, the fulfillments that I've gotten from, from, from folks, uh, who've written to me about that stuff. So, um, and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the message. If there is one it is just keep at it. Uh, keep looking, something is going to make you vibrate. Right. Uh, and there's something that you're going to be amazing at. Uh, and you just got to keep going until you find it. I love it. Well, I think sometimes when you're not quite doing the thing that you want to be doing, you can look at things and go, well, I hear it's really dysfunctional behind the scenes, or I'm sure the show isn't even that great or whatever. But then sometimes you go, no, it's everything I ever dreamed of. It's the best of the best of the best. It's, it's great. It's so great. And you're at the, you're in the ground zero of show business. Great. You know, on stage and off, it seems like, right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the show is, I definitely understand what you're saying. We, we do all of these mental gymnastics. To right. Make things okay. Well, I hear like, the director's a jerk or whatever, or, you know, exactly. whatever. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, but no, Hamilton yeah. is, and in the Heights too, too, yeah. um, is, it's a work of genius. And, and the word genius is something that's thrown around a lot. Uh, but having watched Lynn, um, operate, uh, you know, his brain just is capable of things that the average brain is not capable of. He was born with some mutation that allows his brain to do things, uh, that are incredible, just incredible. Now you talk about meeting him, and it vo- it involves some plastic cups, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, so when I met him, it was, you know, to, to let myself off the hook a tiny bit here. He was not the worldwide phenomenon right. yet that he is now, and it was that it was uh, at In the Heights, and the show hadn't even opened yet. It was uh, the night before the first preview, and uh, I was I was behind the bar cleaning up, you know, getting ready to open for the next day, and this guy came up and asked me if we had any souvenir cups, because uh, we had just started selling those cups that you right. know, have the show's logo on them that people can take home with them, and I said, oh, you know, not yet. They're not printed yet, but we should have them in a couple of weeks, you know, and, and then I was like, do you, you know, are you, do you work here? Uh, and what Lynn said was, I'm with the show. Yeah. Right. That that's verbatim all that he said. I'm with the show. Yeah. So I'm assuming he must be a, either work backstage somewhere, or maybe he works for the merchandise company or something. Right. So, uh, I say, well, great. Yeah. Come back in a couple of weeks. We'll get you the cups. And then the next day, uh, you know, I go in to watch the final rehearsal and, uh, the lights come up. And their center stage is the the the, the cup guy. Yeah, the guy that's uh, with the show. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and so then he starts the show, and, and it's this mesmerizing thing that he's doing up there. And I pick up a playbill, and I find out that not only is he in the show, I mean, he wrote the lyrics, he conceived it. I mean, this guy, he is the entire show. So that's how I uh, met Lin-Manuel Miranda. And now if he, uh, you know, because I was in communication with him when I was 
writing the book just because I wanted to make sure that I was open with him and, and that I was going to, that I was doing this thing. And so now he signs his emails to me, cup guy. Uh, so, so that's now his uh, sign off for, for me. What were his words to you about the book? Was he all go for it? Or how, how, totally. what, was that, what was that like? Yeah, it was, it was very intimidating. First of all, I, I wrote to him and, and said, you know, I'm doing this thing. And I said, and he's an incredibly busy guy, especially at the time when I was getting ready to publish. I mean, he's doing a television show, uh, you know, just very busy. So I said, you know, I can send you a representative story if, you, if you'd like. And he said, actually, can you just send me the whole book? And I immediately began to sweat. Oh my because, gosh. I'm like, cause I'm thinking of every word and like, I, yes. Every word. And as right. you know, again, I do not consider myself a writer. The stories are very, very simple. Uh, and Lynn is a linguistic genius. Uh, so the idea of sending that guy, it was like sending Shakespeare some writing. You know, uh, like I, that's how it felt to me. And I, I even called the eight, my, uh, the friend who'd, who'd uh, introduced, who'd gotten me the agent at the literary agency. And I was like, maybe this is a bad idea. I, Lynn wants to read this thing now. I, I don't know. Maybe we, we should just not do this. But I sent it to him and he could not have been kinder uh, a week later. And he clearly read the whole thing. Right. A week later, he wrote to me and um, said how much he enjoyed it. And then he just gave me some notes. The main note was actually about spreading the love around uh, to other uh, members of the creative team uh you know again that's sort of who lynn is uh and uh yeah it was an absolutely phenomenal unexpected i never could have i never imagined uh that one day lynn would be reading my writing well first of all your writing is very engaging you should consider yourself a writer it's very charming and funny and accessible and winning and second of all, you have a very interesting vantage point for this phenomenon. And I'm, I'm sure he found that, I'm sure he enjoyed your writing, and I'm sure he found it very interesting. What was it like to be out with the audience, you know? Because you would often talk about people coming up to you with pink eyes, and they've been crying. You're seeing people at their blubberiest, right? Like yeah, he, oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, and Lynn is a very sensitive dude, you know? Like, right. it doesn't take much for Lynn's eyes to get pink himself. Right, right. Uh, Yeah. What's your favorite memory of him? Um, that's hard to say. There are a lot. There was a lot of emotion connected to after the Pulse, sh um, the shooting at the Pulse yeah. nightclub, you know, in Orlando. And um, that day... Uh, there was going to be a performance because the Tony Awards were that night. Right. And um, he ended up having a chat with the um, cast. And uh, and so I'm just like a fly on the wall. You know, so the, the cast is gathered like in the, in the uh, orchestra seats and I'm just sitting in the back. And they d were talking about removing the guns from the performance. They were doing uh, Yorktown you know, which has all of that right. fantastic in the choreography. Right. Yes. Yeah. It was going to be in the tone. Yeah. So he decided to remove the, the guns from the uh, choreography. I forgot about um, that. I remember now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and then though, the, the beautiful thing, the sonnet that he wrote, which he wrote that day, um, you know, that was one of my, uh, 
that was a special moment, you know, him giving the speech and, and reading um, that, that sonnet, you know, which was penned with, uh, again, within hours of getting the awful news. And it was, um, you know, he was using art in real time uh, to affect people, to, right. to change the world. And, you know, that was really something. Yeah. And th- that was the year they won everything. Hamilton won the Tonys that year, right? Oh my gosh. That's yeah, crazy. 11 Tonys, yeah. Now, if you had had the plastic cups, could you have just given him some? This is where I'm going back to the rules. Could you have just said, <laughs> here's 10? Like, what are the rules about those things? There, there are rules. I, I, I would have been able to do that, but mm-hmm. I would have definitely had to, uh, you know, then afterwards speak with the, the main office and let them know, uh, you know, what happened. But yeah, typically if the creator of the show right. wants uh, something like that, we're, we're able to make it make it happen. I love that. I also love how much it feels like you're a part of the whole thing. Like it's it's all the, every, everyone in, in the theater felt like part of that family. And that, yeah, that really he, comes through. You know, the day after, I think I, I think I mentioned this in the book. Uh, if not, I should have. The day after those Tony Awards, Lynn came to the bar, put down his two personal Tony Awards, and he told me that he was going to leave them there for an hour so that any, if any of the staff wanted to take pictures with them, they could have pictures with the Tonys. And, you know, I'd at this point, I've worked on Broadway for 15 years. Right. That has never happened before. Never that one of the people from the show has included the uh, the front of house staff in that kind of a way where they would drop off their own Tony Awards right. uh, just so that people could take pictures. So he, he's he's that kind of kind of fella. I was in a theater last night, a movie theater, and they showed the trailer for In the Heights. Holy smoke, it looks good. And my friend oh, is man. my friend has already seen it and he said it's spectacular. So you must you must be very excited. Have you you haven't I, I, I was weeping. I was weeping at the at just I had yeah. Yeah. I I hear the numbers and the direction, just everything about it is spectacular. So that's something to look forward to. Yeah. Um what did you think of the Disney uh plus when they showed it? Because I remember watching it outside with my friends. They had a big screen and how moving it was. And it was the same night Trump was doing that super spreader event at Mount Rushmore. So, like, there were these two things happening in the world that were so at odds. And that's kind of what this whole book is about. Like, what, are you, what is it like to be involved in this very diverse piece that speaks of these values of our country during the Trump years? Um, so, I guess, what did you think of the the Disney Plus version, what was it like to watch? And uh, do you remember anything else about that time? Because it was crazy that both of those things were happening on the same night. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that the 2016 campaign was happening at the same time as Hamilton uh, exploding onto the scene, that's one of the things that make me feel like there is some cosmic uh, puppeteer pulling strings, right. you know? I mean, it's, it's like you have a show that is about the birth of democracy while simultaneously pointing out the, the issues with that democracy, that growing democracy that is still working out. It's um, at the same time as that, then we have this real live sort of threat to that democracy from a lot. Again, not, I know that's not everyone's perspective, but from a lot of people's perspective and particularly the people that I was around a lot, um, right. this presidency was a threat 
to the foundations of this democracy in some way. So to have those two things happening, uh, the juxtaposition was just crazy. And it really makes me makes you feel like there's some orchestration to, to this whole thing. Um, and the Disney Plus, I thought, yeah, you know, I remember when they were bringing in the cameras to do that. They filmed it over, I think, like maybe three days and they they uh, spared no expense. You know, they um, there were tons of cameras we had. They had the cameras on cranes and uh, steady cams and, and, and every they, they shot it from every angle that they could. And, you know, as you know, live theater is its own uh, medium. It's its own thing. Right. And it's very difficult to get it to translate to to a screen. You know, um, there are certain things that that you just cannot rep- replicate, no matter how hard you try, right. on a screen. Sure. That said, I thought that the Disney Plus version was fantastic. I really thought they did a great job. In fact, I think there are some things, of, some parts of it, uh, that are even better because you can get you you know a close up view. There are things that happen in a theater that beyond the first or second row you know, facial expressions and things that you're not going to necessarily pick up on. Uh, But being able to see it on the screen like that is really cool. And what's also neat about it is you now through that, because you're watching now through um, the lens of Tommy, through Tommy Kale's lens, you know, you're focusing on, he's telling you what you should be focusing on right. in, in the bits where he, where it's a close up or we pull in or if it's a medium shot or whatever. So you get a little bit of, um, behind the scenes of what's going on in Tommy's brain, which I think is interesting to watch. So yeah, I thought it was great. Um, I wondered what it was going to be like. I, I had been spending so much time touting this musical to everyone that I knew right. that I worried that it was going to be a disappointment to people. Uh, but that night I watched it and I was crying. I was cry- yeah. I, I'd seen the thing a thousand times at that point, And yet I was still crying uh, watching it on, on television. So I, I thought it was great. What did you What did you think? I loved it. I thought it was beautiful. What moment always gets you, no matter how many times? Well, the first time that I saw the show, I'll admit that I was a true blank slate in that my sense of the actual history was very slim. You right. know, like Alexander Hamilton, I knew the name. Right. I thought maybe he had been a president and there was something about a duel. You know, that was like all that I knew. I knew nothing about his life with Eliza or what happened after he died she spent the rest of her life doing um so for me the moment that never fails to get me is forgiveness uh, yes. and especially that very first night you know and she grabs his hand yes that's it the whole the cast takes this breath oh my god it kills me it just kills me i agree uh, that's mine is that yours too? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's just quiet uptown. Uh, is just God. It gets me every single time. Well, I also love that in the end, it's really the women that stay with me, and Absolutely. I think that that's you know that's when you think about the founding fathers, you think it's going to be all about the guys, and it it's not, especially the heart yeah, of Eliza. It yeah, Eliza is the hero of the story in my mind. You know. Yeah. She's the hero. And you also learn that after he passed, I mean, she spent the rest of her life fighting for the end of slavery. You know, she was yeah. like doing the real work. Yeah. Um, and then the, in the end, then of course you find out about the orphanage, you know, and then she lived, uh, you know, another 50 years and spent her whole life. Um, yeah. As an abolitionist and, and caring for kids who didn't have parents. I mean, she, in my mind, she's a real hero. Yeah. Incredible. Um, you tell the Mike Pence story in the book. <laughs> 
of when he came to to see Hamilton, and it was between being elected and be, taking office. So it was in that in that time there. Um, I, I got to that chapter and I was like, "Ugh, I don't want to deal with Pence right now." And then I so I took a break and I went back and read it. Um, you did something very I thought very brave. You didn't shake his hand, and you yeah. instead you did something else. And it wasn't obvious that it was a handshake thing, but it felt like it was kind of an unofficial one, and you didn't do it. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely won't say I'm brave. I'm one of the, the, the least brave people that I know. But in that moment, it was hard for me because I'm a, I'm a generally congenial person, right. a friendly guy. And it's your job uh, to be I, welcoming to everybody there. Yeah. Part of your yeah, job. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, in, in the moment that he's there, so this is only about 10 days after the election. So New York City especially, which is a very liberal town, uh, is reeling. And especially yeah. the people at the theater, you know, we're, we're reeling from this. Um, it, had a, it had a sense, uh, you know, not, not the same as 9-11, but there was something about it, uh, the feeling in the streets that somehow reminded me of the days after 9-11. Like the streets were quieter somehow. Um, and now I feel like, you know, we were dealing with some shock and, and actually grieving. Yes. Uh, for some people, it was an actual grieving process that was going on, that we had elected a person who said things out loud that a lot of us thought, um, we just thought that it was a big step back. Right. We're from, not who we thought we were. We're not who we thought we were, not right. even like close. Right. And, and going from Obama uh, to this was just a complete whiplash. So yes. anyway, uh, Mike Pence... Um, is a very religious person, right? By his own admission. And because of that, he's got very, very uh, definite feelings about people who are not heterosexual. Uh, You know, he believes the version of the Bible that says that that's a, uh, that that there's something about that that's an abomination. Yeah. Uh, It's certainly a sin, uh, you're definitely not going to heaven if right. you engage in that type of behavior. Or whatever, like that's what his beliefs are. So much so, the thing is that it's not just his own beliefs. Everybody's entitled to their beliefs, right? But the once your beliefs start to impact other people in a real way, that's I think a different issue. And when he was the governor of um, Indiana, he actually diverted funding away from a, a program that was helping uh, with AIDS research and. Um, and uh, and uh, people who are sick, you know, helping people <clears throat> um, with, you know, drugs and whatever. And he diverted funding away from that and instead put it into a program that advocated for, believe it or not, um, I forget the technical name for this, but basically shock therapy. Yeah, like conversion uh, therapy, yeah. Conversion therapy, yeah, yeah, where they literally believe you can shock, you can electric yeah. shock the gay out of people, which right. of course science has told us is ludicrous. It's, it's ridiculous. It does not work. Right. Uh, you cannot. That that that's just not something that's real. Uh, but anyway, so he he diverted, and and during the time that he did that, um, you know, the the AIDS case numbers rose. Yes. You know, it had like a real impact. Yeah. So. When he came to the theater that night, um, it was silent, first of all. We're in the lobby, and the Secret Service is doing the final checks inside the audience. So I'm in the lobby with maybe 10 people total. 
Right. Um, and Mike Pence is standing there with two secret flanked by two secret service people. And um, the silence is like, it was the most stressful, loud silence I've ever been a part of. And as it turned out, I happen to be, you know, as you, as you can imagine, working the Broadway and theater in general happens, tends to be uh, a relatively safe space for people who are not uh, heterosexual. And there are a lot of people who are not heterosexual who happen to work on Broadway. And I was standing between a friend of mine, Rocky, who's gay, and my friend um, Christine, who identifies as uh, queer. And Christine starts crying you know her her arms are folded and her face you know i i hear her crying and i look over and her face is soaked and pence and is she, right there pence is right pence there is and right she's there. crying he's he's maybe you know he's maybe eight feet away right and now this jerk and, is hurting your friends literally he's right yeah. here hurting your friends yes that's and how you. it felt like in yeah. that moment he's he's having a direct impact you know right. and she wasn't prepared um for how how overwhelming it was going to be, you know, because we'd been talking the whole night before this was happening, you know, and we're joking and laughing and, and everything, but having him actually standing yes. there, like she was just not prepared for that. It's very difficult. It's very weird to look into the eyes of someone who feels that way about right. it. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just bizarre. So anyway, the secret service gives the okay and they're bringing him in to the theater. So he has to now cross right in front of us. Right. And as he's coming to us, you know, this girl is weeping. She's clearly not a good target for him. Right. Uh, Rocky is also standing there uh, looking at the floor with his arms folded. Um, Giving him no green light at all. Nothing at all. That no, leaves you. I, uh, what's that? That leaves you in that the middle. That leaves me in the middle. Yeah. So, and my arms are folded too, but, you know, I'm looking at him and I think he sensed, okay, this is the best shot that I have for a warm welcome. Uh, and he starts to come up to me and it's like, he, I think he's going to shake my hand or wave or something, but he's making this movement towards me. And in that moment, you know, I'm, I'm uh, really stressed out because I, I cannot betray my friend here beside right. me, you know? And it felt like even just shaking his hand right. would, would be doing that. So instead, thank goodness, I, in the moment, as my hands are here, I feel, I, I remember I have on my chest, on my vest, is pinned a, a pin that was made for us after Lynn gave that speech at the Tonys, the, right. um, that ends with, you know, love is love is love is love is love is love. Yeah. And that's all it says on the pin, love is love is love. So uh, as he, you know, is doing this thing, instead, I just point to the pin. And he looks at it and reads it. And I have no idea if he knows exactly what that is in reference to or what, but it was clear to him that I was not, I'm yeah. not on board. Yeah. You're not <laughs> going to give him the warm welcome that. No, yeah. no. And then he, he, he walked away and into the theater. And so, yeah, that was the, that was the, the, the post actually. I, I just wrote like a four sentence little post about yeah. that. Right. And it, it ended up getting shared on uh uh, Pantsuit Nation, which is a Facebook group that has, you know, like millions of people. Right. And so it, hundreds of thousands of people started commenting and, uh, you know, liking this thing. And so that's really how the, how it started. I don't know if I would have had the, I don't know if I would have had the balls to do it. So I, my hat is off to, to do, to, to connect the dots and to do, and to, to do the little tap because you're, you know, you, there's a part of me that's like, 
Well, he's the vice president. Like, I don't know. I think I might have just not stepped up that way. You also got sassy with Sean Spicer and Kevin McCarthy. Hats off to you. Yeah, Sean Spicer was my favorite one. uh, (laughs) Because he, you know, Sean Spicer, first of all, I I can't believe he's not. It's never been harder in history to distinguish between an SNL skit and a real thing. Right. And some of Sean Spicer's press conferences were that bizarre so uh anyway yeah he was uh getting he was there with his wife and he he got a drink and i you know i snapped the uh the lid on the cup and he said oh a lid i like that and i said yeah yeah you know i i don't give them to everybody you know just people i think are going to make a historic mess and uh, <laughs> you said that's that the, that's like... the best line of my life uh yeah <laughs> but also the kind of thing like you would in another workplace you might hear from hr about that but apparently no blowback um, I, I, I'm sure that if my boss had been standing beside me at that point, yeah. I'm sure there would have been blowback. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what I was thinking when I was reading the Penn story. Why did he go? Mm. Does he yeah, love the, I mean, he, He's not known as like a lover of culture. What was that about? You have to think uh, that he intended to cause this scene. Because uh, otherwise, yeah, I really do not get it. Uh, but... Uh, you know, in, in, in his defense, uh, I will say that at the end, when uh, the when the speech was being read from the stage, um, be- because obviously we knew that he was coming, so Jeffrey and Lynn got together and wrote a um, a message. And right. It's, it, it's in the book and everything. Right, you write um, about it. Yeah. And so when Michael, who was playing um, uh, uh, Hamilton that night, starts to read the... Uh, read the the letter addressed to pence right you know his his security team wants to get him out um you know for multiple reasons uh he, the the new york crowd is not necessarily the the friendliest uh uh crowd it, it was very largely democrat it was the most electric night of theater that i've ever been a part of you know i write in the book about how every because everyone in the theater knew he was there they used every single response yes as as a message to him it was uh, it gives me chills still to think about like the line immigrants we get the job done right i mean that ovation was unbelievable. It's unbelievable. You couldn't even hear. The actors couldn't hear the pit anymore. So, you, you know, with the, the, they had a pause. It was just incredible. Um, but anyway, so the Secret Service is getting him out. And to his credit, Pence did stop in the, um, you know, in the doorway. And he listened to the, to, to, um, the letter. Uh, so, um, and, and then he left. And it really was Trump that turned it into an issue, right. not Pence. Trump is the one who tweeted about that. And because of Trump's tweets, you know, there were terrible, uh, really awful messages. The theater was inundated. My office happens to be uh, across the hall from the, the the information room, and that's where all the phone calls were being directed oh to. Oh, my God. Uh, and, and so she, just had, she was just playing the messages on the answering machine. And the stuff was unbelievable. The, the vitriol, the level of vitriol that Trump inspired in some of his followers, and that's what I'll call them followers. Like, like he's like this, you know, cult leader. Right. And probably like uh, bomb threats and stuff like that. Or were there protesters outside the theater you write about, right? There were. Holy yeah, God. there were. And it was really uh, the first time I'd been that close to that sort of um, energy, you know. Uh, there, there, um, 
people take on, you know, it's well documented in, in, in psychology that there is such a thing as a, a mass hysteria and sort of a group think that right. can start to happen. And these people were just shouting with everything that they had, this anger uh, and hatred just in this kind of group way. Um, and it was really strange to, right. to uh, witness. Well, it was very interesting to read it from your vantage point. And you started live streaming the speech, right? That the guy, that the actor gave after the curtain. See, you're on it. You're you're you're, yeah. you're pouring the drinks, but you're like you're you're catching everything that's important. <laughs> it's amazing. You're like, excuse me, I'm going to live stream this speech. So you you live streamed the speech that he was giving yeah. to Pence in the moment. Yeah, by that point, I had become aware that I, I had this very special vantage point uh, and wanted to share it as much as I can. And, and he even said from the stage, Michael said, you know, take out your phones, you know, go ahead and record this. This is for everybody. Right. Um, so. So, yeah, I was I was ready. I was ready for that. Moment. It just seemed like the whole the whole company of it from you to the people rose to that occasion. They wrote something special. They weren't going to they weren't going to throw away their shot on that to, no. to quote the lyric. But they really like we're going to. He's coming into our world. We're gonna we're gonna express ourselves. It's pretty inspiring. Um, yeah. Throughout the book, you have these wonderful moments of grace that have to do with, you know, signs from the universe or something. I was like, wow, I want more of those in my life. Um, but I think you're also tuned into that kind of thing in a in a wonderful way. Um, and the way you write about your parents is so beautiful. Um, <laughs> You write about your father who drove for FedEx, is that right? Yeah. And right. and fully supported your dream of being an actor. And I was in shows and did things. My father never came to a single thing that I did. And I knew that he wouldn't from the time I was like five. Like I understood that he wouldn't. And I, I made whatever piece I needed to make. Like I was never hurt that he didn't come to my swing choir thing that was just down the road. Cause I never expected him to. And what was it in me at five that goes, Oh, this guy emotionally is not going to be that guy. He's just not. So reading about your father, tell the story about you were performing in a, in a, in a show in another state. Yeah. And he like, I, I just, I was like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, well, very insightful of you as a young kid. That means to me that you've got this big heart uh, that is able to pick up on uh, a lot of important stuff. So that I says a lot so. about you. Um, Thank you. My dad, I was very lucky, my mom and my dad. Uh, yeah, my dad was a very blue-collar kind of guy. You know, he, he hadn't graduated from college. He sort of went right from high school into work and then uh, became a delivery driver, and he did that for his whole life. Uh, you know, I'd never never read Shakespeare, uh, never had gone to plays in his life. Uh, but so supportive of me and his, and his kids in general, was he, that he never missed uh, a single play that I did. Uh, even if he didn't understand a word of it, you know, at that time I was doing a lot of Shakespeare, um, and he never missed a show. And, and at one point I was doing, uh, a, the smallest role I've ever had in my life at the Cincinnati Playhouse in the park. My dad is very afraid of flying. He wouldn't fly. Um, so he, 
in order to see this performance in Cincinnati, he was going to have to drive. And it's like a, the way my dad drove, especially very, very slowly. It's at least like a 13 hour drive minimum from Connecticut to Cincinnati where I was. So I was playing a security guard in uh, Agatha Christie's uh, witness for the prosecution. No lines, Dennis, no lines, no lines, literally just stood by the door uh, of the trial in the courtroom. That's all that I did. It was for three hours. It was a very long play. Uh, It was also the hardest role of my life, just standing for three hours by this door. So I was like, Dad, please, don't waste time on this. I I don't say any lines. I just stand there. Please don't do this. Because he had been planning. The the guy never took off from work, ever. So the only time that he was going to be able to see it was a Sunday matinee. So he was going to have to to drive. Uh, He worked on, I think it was a Saturday morning. And he then, after work, drove through the night to get to Cincinnati, watch my matinee performance, uh, he, he, and then he'd have to leave right after that to drive back to get to be there for uh, Monday morning. And I was like, that's insane, dad. There's no way you can do that. Right. So finally I told him, listen, mom is coming. Mom's coming out for that weekend. I'm not going to be alone. She'll see it. And, and finally he said, okay, all right, this one time I'll miss the show. So that Sunday matinee, uh, I'm up against the door and I look out and I see my mom and sitting beside my mom is my dad. He, he did it. He did it. He had gotten into the car, drove through the night, sat there with a smile on his face, watched the whole thing, gave me a hug afterwards, you know, told me how amazing I was. No one had ever stood at a door the way that I stood at that door, <laughs> gave me a hug and then got back in the car. And my mom had canceled her flight so that she could drive back with him uh, to, to make sure they had been divorced, by the way, for years by this point. Right. Uh, but she they she uh, canceled her flight so she could drive back with him to make sure that he stayed awake. So, uh, yeah, just a very special guy, my dad. Incredible. And you say that you think about that a lot. I think I would, too. Like, wow. Think about it all the time. All the time. Yeah. That's incredible. And then you write about the butterflies. Which, yeah. which, which blew me away. Can you say a little bit about that? I don't want to give away too much because it's, it's such a fun part of the book and a wonderful part of the book. Um, yeah. 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 My, my dad passed and uh, after he died, um, some extraordinary things began to happen uh, that I could not explain uh, scientifically. Before I became an actor, I had initially planned on being a high school science teacher. So that's what I had gone to college for initially. And science has always been a part of my life. And, you know, the mainstream scientific materialist paradigm says that there's absolutely no such thing as anything after death. Once you die, that's the end. Uh, But after he died, such extraordinary things happened that it actually ended up, there's a Netflix series right now, uh, on Netflix called Surviving Death, and my dad's story is featured in that. Oh, wow. I'm going to watch it right after we finish this. I love yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, part of his story is told in episodes two, three, and four. But um, And then I also wrote a book called Love Dad, How My Father Died, Then Told Me He Didn't. So if you want the whole story, yeah. uh, it's in that second book. But um, the butterflies, you know... Some they started to appear at certain times that were just impossible for me to understand as simply being coincidence. Uh, and the main one, I think the one that you're talking about that is in that book, I think, is about the Penn, Penn and Teller show. Is that the one that yes, that was in there, but then also there, there was there was one and there's one that was in the theater as well, or maybe yes, it's the yes, same yes, story. Yeah. yeah, so 
butterflies have become this enormous sign in my life. You and Mariah and, Carey, by the way. You you have yeah. that in common with Mariah Carey. She's very, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, butterflies are a big thing. She had a song called Butterfly. Oh my gosh, yes. see, just one more way yes. that Mariah and I are connected. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, uh, yeah, th- this, this one day I'm talking to my friend Marie about butterflies and my dad and how I had just had this amazing experience with a butterfly in a, and I'm saying to her, you know, I really feel like this is a sign from, from my father as crazy as that sounds. And as I'm saying that to her, uh, I see a flutter out of the corner of my eye and I turn around and there is a freaking butterfly in the theater, Richard Rogers theater in the lobby. And it lands up in uh, the chandelier. And so I have pictures in the book of, you can see a good friend of mine named Darnell. He's looking up at this thing and you can see the look of incredulity on, on his face. And I haven't even told Darnell at that point about the connection between my dad and the butterflies and how I had just been talking to Marie just now about it as this butterfly appeared. That look on his face is just the simple shock of seeing a butterfly in a Broadway theater at all. Right. None of the people I work with that I talk, and I talked to all of them, had ever seen a butterfly in a Broadway Broadway theater before it's unusual. I mean, you know, Times Square is not like a uh, 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 the, the 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 you know uh, destination uh, for butterflies. There's right, not it's a not whole Central lot Park. of greenery. Yeah, yeah, it's all pavement. So just even to see one outside in Times Square is fairly unusual. Uh, so to see it in the theater like that, uh, and, and the story is more. There's more to the story than yeah. that, but it's it's all told in the book. Uh, really. Uh, blew my mind, to say the least. What does it do for you emotionally? Is it comforting? Incredibly, incredibly. Yeah, you'll, the, I mean, that's the gist, the reason I ended up writing the book, and again, the subtitle is How My Father Died Then Told Me He Didn't. I mean that literally, uh, and I won't go too much into it without right. sounding insane. Uh, it's best if you you know build up to it all by in the book. But uh, I am now, I and my family are now left in no doubt, no doubt that uh, my dad is in some form still around, still paying attention, uh, and that love uh, somehow survives the death of the body. Um, so yeah, it's incredibly comforting to, to think that when my dad died, it was out of the blue, total shock. And we were, I've uh, like devastation is a word that I'd read before, but I did not know what it meant until losing my dad. Right. I mean, I was in a deep, dark hole. And, uh, after everything that happened, it's like my dad, uh, pulled us, yanked us up out of that place. And, uh, um, totally changed my my sense of reality. Yeah. And you write so sweetly about your mom at the end, too. They both were very optimistic, or are very optimistic people. Uh, the last few years, I've been doing a fair amount of study on happiness and optimism and how they affect people's lives and how you can um, change that about yourself, in a way. Yeah. There are things you can do to to increase your happiness or to to improve your optimism. But that was always part of your upbringing, right? This sort of optimistic spirit. Yeah, very lucky. Very lucky that I had these two parents who were amazing people. Uh, just just lovely, loving, entirely loving. And, um, and they just brought us up to always be looking for the best uh, in people. And um, um, my parents were very, they were just... There was no judgment about my parents, you know, like I, I, 
I, I tell the story in the book about how when we were young, we I think we were in New York and my mom, uh, we passed a guy who was in the street like begging for money, you know, and of course in New York now, there are tons of people who, who, who are um, living on the street. And uh, she, she bent down to give him some money and uh, she wouldn't leave until he looked up at her he want she wanted to like look into his eyes you know and she had this moment with him and she just touched him on the shoulder and he said oh you know thank you thanks sort of surprised that this woman had not just dropped down to feel good about herself and then walk on like she put the money in the cup and then like actually wanted to look at him and you know what she was saying in that moment to us is that there is absolutely nothing that separates me from anybody else but circumstance, you know, right. there is, it is nothing but luck that has given me the parents that I have been given, that I was born to, uh, the, whatever intellectual capacity I have is entirely thanks to the luck of the draw of, of DNA. Um, it's entirely, entirely circumstance that separates me from anyone else. And in fact, there is no separation. No one is any less than I am. No one is any more than I am. We are all equally uh, important. You know, that's what my parents uh, taught us without having to say it. Just that's just how they treated everyone. Right. Um, it, it did not matter what their religious beliefs were or, or what their economic status was or anything else. Uh, there were, there were no levels with my parents of importance. Where did you, you know? grow up? Where were you? Connecticut, Guilford, Connecticut, Guilford. a small town in Connecticut. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, I just uh, very lucky. Uh, but yeah, what you're saying about happiness and optimism and how you can sort of train your, your, your mind basically to be yeah. happier. I mean, I totally think that that's true. You know, there's really strong evidence now, uh, even on a scientific, like quantum level yeah. that the universe tends to become for us personally, what we focus on. I think so. Uh, I mean, I, I saw this really interesting speaker a few years ago and she talked about uh, this book called learned optimism by a guy named Martin Seligman. But her point was sort of that, Pessimists see the world the way it is, and they're probably right in some ways, but optimists do better in everything. Relationships, career, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. there's no real glory in, in, in being right, I guess, about things, but, but you can do things to shift the way you think about things. And I've, I've been doing that was one of my sort of pandemic uh, endeavors, which has been interesting. Um, you write about a lot of encounters with famous people at Hamilton, um, and you do remark about something which I think about a lot, is that famous people can make somebody's day by just walking in a room and not being a jerk. And they know that 30 people are going to tell their friends later, and it's exciting. It's like, and I'm like, what a gift to be able to, well, I guess I'll walk in this room. And for the rest, you know, I worked with Joan Rivers briefly. Well, for a few, couple years, actually. And she was, she got that. She knew that she could give somebody their Joan Rivers moment and that would make their month or year or whatever. Like she understood it. And I thought that was beautiful. And then the people that squander that, I think it's, it's a bummer, right? But yeah. Yeah. 
Talk yeah, to me if, about if there's any reason I'd ever wanted to be famous, that's it. That's it. Uh, I am so envious only for that reason. It's not about the money or anything else. For me, it truly is the, the thought of being able to lift someone up just by showing up, just by walking into the room. Right. Uh, God, if there, there's no God, if there's no better superpower right. than, than that. And you write about a number of people that go over and above, and I love them. Amy Schumer um, left you a, a really huge tip, and it became a bit on social media. But it really says to me, like, oh, she remembers what it's like to be where you were, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and what you don't hear in the story that ended up, you know, getting onto social media and being on those various talk shows and things is that even before that happened, Amy came, she was a huge fan, is a huge fan of Hamilton. So she's been many times. The first time that she came, uh, she and her sister had gone to the bathroom during the first act and she came out to get some soda, just soda, I think this first time at the bar. And she ended up spending like 15 minutes with us while the first act is going on. There's not a camera anywhere. It's just Amy, her sister and uh, me and another guy, uh, one of the other bartenders. And because, um, yeah, she had been, a, she was a bartender. Uh, you know, she knows exactly what, what it's like. She is a genuinely, uh, from my perspective, just a genuinely uh, good person who um, is someone that my mom would like. Someone who treats everybody with importance, equal importance, no matter uh, what their job title might be or anything else. And so, yeah, uh, that's sort of who she is. And, and then, of course, the next time the $1,000 tip happened, and then people also don't know, I write about this in the book as well, she came back another time. And uh, not wanting the, the, the hoopla, she sent her sister to the bar, who I did not recognize, who got just a bottle of water, Dennis, a $5 bottle of water. Right. And then I, I printed out the receipt for her, uh, and I bent down to, like, put stuff in the refrigerator because intermission had ended and the second act was, was beginning. And I got back up, and I noticed she's still standing there. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't, you don't have to sign that. You can just go. I don't want you to miss a second, you know, to sign a $5 receipt. And she said, oh, I wanted to give you a tip. It's like, oh, my God, thank you so much. So hand her the receipt. She signs it and, and leaves. And I don't notice until 10 minutes later when I'm back, I stand back up. And she has left a $2,000 tip for that $5 bottle of water. Uh, and, of course, I did some investigation and found out that that was Amy's sister uh, who had done that. So, yeah, really just a, just a great, great family. I love it. And Jimmy Kimmel, who I'm a fan of, did something really extraordinary as well. Yes. His, his, he was at the show one night, Marie, my friend Marie, her, her best friend's mom was a huge Jimmy Kimmel fan. He was her favorite celebrity and she passed very young, uh, a year to the day that she passed, uh, Marie's friend, uh, she lives in Florida. She happened to be in New York visiting Marie. She had just gotten into town that day and Jimmy happened to be in the house that night. So uh, we did not get to meet him, unfortunately. We, you know, we, Marie was on the lookout, hoping to just get like a picture with him or something. Uh, did not meet him. Um, that night, we had an issue. We had a glitch with our software program that the bar uses for inventory. So Marie and I were there much later than we usually are. We usually leave not very long after intermission. So on this night, we're there super late. We finally get things figured out. Like the lights have been turned off in the lobby. You know, it's very late. We come around the corner. Marie literally bumps into Jimmy. 
like coming around a corner, literally bumps into him. Right. He had he had stayed behind to meet with the cast. Right. Um, so he uh, and his date came around the corner. They bumped into each other, and Marie, you know, frantically saying, "Oh my God, Jimmy, um, my my best friend, her mom, she loved you, and she would just, you know." And Marie tells him this whole story breathlessly. So then Jimmy says, "Well, where's your friend?" You know, uh, can can she come here? And Marie says, oh, my God, well, she's, you know, she's out. You know, she was somewhere around Manhattan. And Jimmy said, well, uh, if you call her, uh, you know, I'll wait if she wants to come. And sure enough, he waited half an hour. And finally, Daniela, Marie's friend Daniela, showed up uh, and uh, took the picture. And, uh, you know, it meant the world because it felt to Daniela like this was an absolute sign from her mom somehow sending uh, Jimmy into her life on that particular day, exactly a year to the day of her death. Yeah, I love that. Do you ever get jerks? Because it seems like when you're, people wanted to see Hamilton. They got tickets. They're there. It's happening. There's such a spirit of goodwill. It seems like people would be on their best behavior, but I'm sure you get some. You don't have to name names, but is it something you see? Uh, not very often. No, I mean, you know, everyone has bad days, of course. Right. Um, but uh, no, I'll, I'll say that absolutely, by and large, people are just so excited uh, to be there. Uh, and, and as you said, very often on their very best behavior. Um, so yeah, no, I, 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 I don't encounter a whole lot of, uh, negative energy, you yeah. know, not at all. It sounds like the whole workplace is pretty functional and, and kind and, and cool, but what have you thought of these stories that came out lately with Scott Rudin and, and all of, and some of the stuff that's happening in Broadway around that? What were you, when you heard it, did it, did it dis, did it feel like a disconnect from your experience or was it like, oh, I've heard this from other places or what was your take on that? No, it's not. So, now, again, I'm a straight white guy. Right. So I'm coming from this position of privilege. Uh, and it it's no wonder that I have not uh, experienced what a lot of people are talking about. Um, and Scott Rudin, I had not heard personally, I had not heard any stories about that. Uh, not that I'm not, I'm not doubting them, obviously. Right. Um, but I had just not been aware of them. And there have been some around Hamilton, uh, too. You know, recently cast members... Um, have made some videos that have gotten pretty uh, a lot of attention about uh, experiences they've had in casting, even with the Hamilton um, um, creatives. So again, this is not something that I'm privy to. I obviously, I, you know, Lynn Lynn doesn't pull me aside and and, and talk to me about casting right. decisions. But yeah, it was a surprise when I heard these things. And again, the, the, I'm not doubting their um, what they have to say at all. Right. Um, but it came as a, as a surprise to me simply because I had not been aware of it. And that, I guess, is the yeah. definition of privilege. Um, so what I can say about all of that, though, is what I know of Lynn is, is that he really is a guy who's trying to do the best that he can uh, and 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 do what he can for others and be being made aware now of what some people have said i cannot imagine that it will not have gotten to lynn and that he will not do whatever is in his power uh to address these issues and um and make things better yeah that's that's cool um in terms of bartending are you flashy can you do the cocktail stuff? <laughs> I am so wish that I could. Dennis, you talk about I, the no look poor. You do the no look poor. That seemed like a move. 
it, it, it never goes well. The no look port never goes well. Okay. Um, I'm working on it. You know, I flip cups around a lot. Okay. Uh, but uh, I never catch them. Yeah. I don't know if that's a problem. Right. Uh, so, no, not there's not a whole lot of cocktail going on Shenanigans. yet. Not where yet. Where is the physical bar that you're most often at at Hamilton? Because I know in some of those Broadway theaters, you're kind of in the theater. Like, it depends on the layout. But where are where is it in relation to the, the stage? Yeah. Yeah, we have three bars right. at the Rogers. So there are two in the orchestra level as soon as you enter the lobby. I'm at the, the bar that's right there as soon as you enter the lobby. Okay. And then we have another one up in the mez level, the mezzanine level as well. But I'm the one. So if you come to see Hamilton, Dennis, I'll be right there behind that very first bar when you enter. I love it. And, and you must just see people crying and like you just must see people at the most vulnerable, yeah. blubbery, life-affirmed uh place it's pretty beautiful I, I i walk in all the time now <clears throat> to watch the end of the show yeah and now i don't watch the show anymore now i turn around and i'm like watching the audience because I, I just love seeing all the hands going into into pockets and pocketbooks and things to pull out tissues right uh at the end of the show yeah 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 and the, the fear that you you're crying is shaking the entire row i've had that before um <laughs> you got to see obama up close um which is amazing what was your takeaway what, what stays with you about that? Uh, what stayed with me is that that guy is, is what you see is what you get. Um, uh, when I was closest to him, I tell the story in the book about the, we, they had the, I hope this is okay to say uh, for secret service, uh, but they had set up sort of a safe room, you know, for him in the back, in the alley, right. uh, which was where my ice machine was. So I had to go back there to get ice. So uh, for a little while, I'm standing in this very small room with Obama and uh, you know, there were just a couple of secret service people with him and, and no one else. So there's no reason for him to be anything other than himself. And he's laughing and joking with these guys. Uh, he had the smile about him. Uh, he, he, he just is as warm and engaging and smart uh, as he seems to be. And he is that way when there is not a single, just like Amy Schumer that day in the lobby, when there's not a single camera on him. Um, yeah, he, he, he's a special guy. I, I really feel like he's a, a special guy uh, that has a sort of a deep empathy about him. And he has a way about him as well, I think, um, of, of uh, really engaging with whoever it is he's talking to. Um, and then that person in that moment is the most important person to him. You know, he, I, I feel like he really um, uh, pays a deep attention to people and it's not for show like that. He it seems to me that he's really trying to uh, engage with people. And then I got to hear him that well, he came to the show twice. And one time he gave a speech after the show and to get him, to, to, to get to hear him say, yes, we can from just a few feet away. Oh God. It was one of the, one of the, one of the highlights of my life. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. And I guess you said Rosie O'Donnell has been like 24 times. Yeah. She's she, so she just breathes into like, Hey everybody, I'm back. Right. Like, like, just yeah. A film, yeah, a sense of familiarity. I tell story, if you have time for just this quick story that oh, I tell in the book about I her. love it. She, yeah. She, uh, came and there were these young girls, maybe like, 12 or something uh and rosie came up behind them and they're you know buying their soda and their candy or whatever and rosie comes up and she says your stuff's on me and, and they like look up at her and she says i'm rosie o'donnell and they look up at her 
completely blank stares. Right. And Rosie pauses this exquisite pause and then says, tell your mom, Rosie O'Donnell, Rosie O'Donnell bought your junior men's. Uh, and it was just this hysterical moment. She's uh, a very funny uh, down to earth woman. Yeah. And her love of Broadway is no joke. That's, that's, that's the real serious, real serious, deal. serious. Yeah. What's the most popular candy at Hamilton? Uh, the M&M peanuts. Interesting. The price of vine, just in general, not just Hamilton. Across the board. Everywhere. Uh, that's the number one seller at every theater. Yeah. What's it like when you're working at a show that's not that great? Have you done that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it, feel, it feels different, right? Yeah. Uh, one, of my, one of my early jobs was at Tarzan. Do you remember Tarzan being on Broadway? Was it a Disney a one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that did not last long at all. There was another show and one of my dear friends was in this one, but, um, it was called Wonderland based on, uh, Alice in Wonderland. Oh, right. And, uh, was, was, uh, not good. And yeah, it's a totally different atmosphere. I mean, it totally, that show was, was in the marquee theater, which is like 1800 seats. And, you know, sometimes you got, 300 people in in the theater yeah uh and uh, yeah definitely uh a uh, different feeling than than you have at a hit show yeah for sure you're, you're you're it's a better day at work when people are really having a an incredible experience for sure yeah, yeah. what's what's next for you what are you up to now uh, I'm working on next uh, right now I'm doing an audiobook version actually of life at Hamilton that's oh. the Awesome. That's the immediate thing that I'm doing. And then uh, working on a documentary that I've been working on now for a number of years that's about uh, this stuff regarding my dad. Uh, so once we're out of COVID and, and everything and things are a little bit more back to normal, I think uh, that we're going to uh, maybe pick that up again so yeah i have this very strange life like i'm bartending for broadway uh, during the day and then at night uh i'm uh, like studying the evidence for uh the independence of consciousness from the from the physical body well you tell a number of stories uh, related to that world where i was like that's amazing so it's it's certainly something that feels like it's a part of your life so i'm glad you're you're exploring it and going going further with it because it was like I've never had any of those kinds of things happen so it's pretty awesome um you wrote that as a kid nothing made sense to you until theater is that is that mm. is that true the way you were growing up and you just couldn't find your place until until you discovered that yeah it, well what never made sense to me was you know I, I've always been sort of uh you know a very empathetic kid and maybe even when I was a kid a little empathic in that maybe I was um, feeling more strongly than average uh, other people's feelings, you know? And when I was a kid, I could not understand uh, like kids being mean to each other on the playground, for instance, you know, like it just made zero sense to me that people, kids would want to hurt each, hurt other people. Um, and, uh, you know, and then learning about things like war, you know, stuff like that, where not just kids, but full grown adults, we're not only hurting each other, but like murdering, killing each other right. over things that, of course, I couldn't fathom at that age. Uh, and um, yeah, that it was always so bizarre to me because I had, from the moment I, I could form thoughts, I was like, what is this thing? You know, I remember like looking up at the sky at night and being like, what in the world 
is this? How did we get here? Right. What are we doing here? Where's this all going? You know, what is this for? And the fact that anyone could spend time um, hurting each other instead of thinking about these incredible questions right. uh, really was, was uh, bothered me. And uh, it was, yeah, when I found theater um, in that, in high school, early in high school, um, <clears throat> I, you know, I, I, I realized that these were my people, you know, these were people who were interested typically not, you know, of course this is a generalization, but uh, on average, I found that the people in my, in the theater group uh, were kind and open and wondered a lot about life and, right. and what makes someone a good actor uh, is is a need to know what it's like to be other people, right? And, and see life from other people's perspectives. That's that's really what acting and theater is all about, uh, you know, figuring out what, what this whole thing is from lots of different perspectives. So yeah, finding theater, like I, I, I realized that those were the people that I wanted to be around people who were spending their time uh, trying to make other people feel good and laugh and, and learn something about what this is all for. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, what's the plan going forward? Because I think they've talked about reopening maybe September and do you go back? What's, what's coming up for you in terms of. Yeah. Broadway? I just got a message from my office saying that they're asking for uh, the bartenders to be back on September 14th. Uh, and so I'll have to be back a little bit before that probably. <clears throat> so um, I can't tell you how nice it is to have like an actual date set to this thing. This has been, as you can imagine, uh, as you know, such a long uh, year uh, and not having an end date is it, it, it was tough you know yeah. uh and it all happened so fast like i was on my way in i was on the train into work when i got the call saying no no they're closing down for two weeks that was how right. it started two weeks so go back home and it was like so like that the world changed <clears throat> so um having having this date september 14th I, I believe the box office is going to start selling tickets tomorrow for hamilton uh the lion king and a, a number of other shows so uh, that's exciting. What do you think it'll be back? Be like to be back? I this it gives me chills to think about that, Dennis. I, I think it's going to be the most extraordinary night of theater. Um, I, I think it's going to supplant the Mike Pence night as my new uh, high water mark yeah. for what a night of theater can be. I, I just <clears throat> you know I write in the book how you know. We appreciate theater. People love being together in a theater and, and, and whatnot. But having an event like this, a worldwide shutdown, uh, I think really recalibrates our gratitude scale. You know, like I noticed now, like literally I, I'm like out at Starbucks standing in line. and I'm like, oh, my God, look how close I am to these people. There's right. a guy just six feet away. He's like a real human being. You right. know, like I, I'm excited just to go to the post office. So I, I think um, – being back in, in a theater together, especially with a show like Hamilton, uh, God. And, you know, between you and I, Dennis, between you and I, I have been hoping and wondering if there's any way that Lynn would maybe want to come back uh, to open, to reopen the show. And um, so, I, you know, obviously I don't have any. We're putting, we're putting that into the universe. We're putting it into the universe yeah. and manifesting 
that because I think that would just be such a special way uh, to reintroduce theater in, into our lives. So it's going to be it's going to be something else. Well, I think they should sell your book at the snack bar. I think you should or at the with the T-shirts and stuff. Uh, that would be great. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure who who to talk to about that, but yeah, I, that would be fantastic. Well, we're putting it out there. We're planning that. Yes, seat. but uh, yeah, manifest. and then and then I want the Bidens to come uh, and 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 see the Joe, show. Yeah. Joe has been there, uh, you know, long before he was president. I, I think it was when. Uh, uh, oh no, it wasn't that night. It was some other night. He came, and Joe was awesome because he walked right through the theater. He had just one security guy with him. So, because a lot of times, obviously when there are celebrities or people who might make a public stir just for safety reasons, they kind of keep them um, in a, in a location away from the rest of the audience. Uh, and especially if it's like uh, someone like a, a, a highly, you know, a visible politician, but Joe came right through the crowd. He used the same bathroom that everybody else used. Um, he was right there in the, in the uh, middle of the audience signing autographs for everybody. Um, yeah, it was really, he, he's another person who seems like a pretty down to earth. Yeah. Uh, what you see is what you get. Kind of, kind of guy. Man of the people. I love it. Uh, tell people how they can buy your book. Yeah, the book is available on Amazon.com, or yeah. uh, you can also get it directly now through MikeAnthony.com. Nice. Uh, and also on MikeAnthony.com, I have some uh, video clips and things uh, regarding the the uh, other subjects, the the, the uh, life after death. Which is uh, so stuff. interesting to me. There's so many little stories about that in the book, so now I want to do a deeper dive. Um, congrats on the book. It's really winning, and I think you're writing voice is very appealing and funny and warm and wonderful and i hope you have big success with it um final oh and what's your social media so people can follow you uh i, I really it's a uh, mike anthony 91 i yeah. think is my instagram right uh, thing and then on facebook i think if you just like put in mike anthony hamilton it, it yeah. pops up because that's where you started posting originally it was all on facebook yeah it is yeah yeah, yeah. Awesome. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I really love the book. Here's my final question. You talked about hearing from people when you were doing your post, but also I'm sure you've heard from people since the book. Share with me a story or two or something that, that people reached out to you that they took away from what, what you were writing about or one that, that's memorable or moving or funny. Because um, when um, you put things out, people react, it turns out. They do. They really do, Yeah. Um, I've gotten so many lovely messages. Um, you know, there, there's one that, that, um, from a woman who'd lost a child, for instance. Um, and, uh, you know, I won't get too into that obviously, but, um, you know, she, she wrote about how some of the, some of the stories that I shared had helped, helped her, um, in that incredibly difficult uh, situation. Um, but the, the main thing that people write to me about is how it has altered their, um, their perspective on their own power sort of to, to affect the world. And that's something that I write about a lot. And it's something that is really easy to forget. And I of course forget it all the time, but, um, we all, when we're out in the world, everything that we say and do, even in a way, uh, how we think 
affects the world and it goes out in ripples that are way more powerful than I think we typically are aware of. And, uh, you know, this is something that I study a lot uh, in this other area of my life uh and in, there there are um things called near-death experiences you know where people literally die yeah and they feel they come out of their body and they have this incredible experience and uh some of them have told me a lot of people have said this uh but some have told me personally that the one, ones that i've talked to in real life that uh once out of their body they were stunned to discover how powerful their words are and not only their words but their thoughts that they have real energy to them a real energy uh that actually manifests in some way in this physical world so uh when we're interacting with people just by being kind there is an incredible power to that a real power Um, right and, and you can affect how the universe feels to somebody just by being kind to them you know, I mean, and it doesn't take much at all. It can be very simple. But if you're, again, at the post office or whatever, and you're just kind with the person who's there uh, helping you out, um, it, 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 we, we now know, this we know scientifically, that the heart has an electromagnetic field, right? And it goes out maybe maybe 10 to 15 feet around us in a sphere. And we now know that my heart affects your brain, your brain field literally picks up on my heart field in some way that we don't entirely understand. And my heart waves can affect your brain waves, basically, Um, like in a real way. So just by being in a room with people, you don't even have to be saying anything, but just in whatever way you're vibrating at, it affects other people. So if you're standing in that room thinking your positive thoughts, your optimistic thoughts that you've been working on. Right. You're changing the brains, like literally changing the brains of the people around you. So um, that's the that's been the those are the messages that I've enjoyed the most. People saying that they they have found themselves being nicer uh, at the grocery store. You know, uh, not beeping maybe at a red light immediately as soon as it turns green. You know, may, maybe giving a, a second. Um, people who are who are, who are writing about just becoming aware of the moment, you know, because my, all of these stories are about simple moments. Uh, um, and, and the, but, and they happen to all of us. It's just a simple matter of paying attention to them. Um, Right. So, so that's, that's, that's what I love. Uh, people who, who, um, are, are living their lives in a, maybe a more, uh, mindful way and, and really paying attention to those little moments and realizing the, the superpower that they have to, to, to literally change the world. Yeah. I love that. I think it's beautiful. It's, it's not a story about somebody whose life worked out perfect and they got everything they wanted. It was like somebody who made the most of where they were. If, if that happened to be in your case, the bar at Hamilton. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's about, it's all about, you know, cause we have these goals in mind, all of us, right? right. And we focus so hard on those goals and getting to them. And then the journey to get there gets lost. Right. We're so focused on that thing out there, but as it turns out and super successful people often figure this out, you, you climb the highest mountain you think there is and you get there and then there's still some sort of a hole somewhere in you yeah. that you don't know why is there. Uh, but for me, that the only reason the goal should be there is so that you take the trip. The trip is the thing. And, um, you know, I think it was Lao Tzu that said that the, the good traveler has no plans because um, then, then the traveling itself 
becomes what you're paying attention to. And that's where life happens. It only happens right now. Literally, right now, you and I together in this moment is the only thing that's real. It's the only thing that's real is right now. Right. So. I love it. There you go. All right. Well, I look forward to coming to see the show and seeing you at the bar at some point. Um, Don't tell my boss, but your drinks are on me, Dennis. Yay, I love it. I love it. I, it'll be, um, I don't drink, so it'll be like, I'm a cheap day. It'll be like Diet Coke, probably. Diet, your, 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 your M&M peanuts are on me. I love it. Do you have Coke Zero? No, okay. I'm sorry. All right, I'm I know. Sorry. Only a few places do. I get it. I get it. But all right. Uh, it was super fun talking to you. Good luck with everything. It's been, it was a real pleasure, and I, I really loved your book. Uh, thanks. I've had a great time, Dennis. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Mike Anthony for the interview. Check out his book, Life at Hamilton. Okay, so this happened. I don't know. Not that much has happened, but I will tell you something I'm obsessed with, which is the show Hacks on HBO. I don't know if I've talked about this before on the podcast. Uh, Gene Smart plays a comedian of a certain age, uh, like a Joan Rivers type or an Elaine Boozler, um, and she gets paired up with this young writer who just lost her career because of a tweet, and they have to try to... To help each other, I guess. And it's really good. Oh my gosh, Gene Smart is so good. And the young actress who's a newcomer is amazing. And I guess she's Lorraine Newman's daughter and has done virtually no big credits before this. So very exciting. And of course, having worked with Joan Rivers, uh, a lot of it is very resonant for me. And it's I think they nail, nail a lot of it. I just feel like it's so well observed. The characters are messy and one second you're like oh i love her and the next you're like she's a monster so <laughs> i uh i i think it's it, i think it's great so if you haven't watched it check it out hacks um i think you'll be hearing a lot about gene smart especially come emmy time so that's it for this week thank you for checking out the podcast and for listening i appreciate it we'll catch you next time on dennis anyone bye <laughs>